now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. There's something about a good highlight comeback video that just gets, you know, some of us anyway, gets a little amped, a little pumped up. If you're watching a game and you see a comeback taking place, I mean, you kind of lean in just a little bit, get a little bit excited. Even if I'm not pulling for either team, if I see a comeback happening, I just kind of like, man, I'd like to see this thing take place, especially if it's against a team that I don't really like. Don't like to see it against the Cowboys, but, but it happens. And, you know, even if you don't like it, like, in that setting, if you ever go to your kid's baseball game, right, or if you ever go to their soccer game or a football game that your kid or your nephew or your niece or somebody that's participating in, you love to see a good comeback story. There's just something about the adrenaline that gets going that we really, really enjoy. However, as good as a comeback is in sports, as much as that makes us feel good, nothing compares to watching someone's life make a comeback. I will tell you this. I've seen so many lives that are right on the brink of ruin, and something something clicks. The Holy Spirit gets a hold of them. They make a decision in their mind and in their heart that they are going to make a comeback from that. I've had couples sitting in my office. I thought their marriage would never make it. And they said, divorce is not on the table. And they make a comeback. I've seen people who are in financial dire straits. And they decide they're going to make some changes in their lifestyle. And they make a comeback. I've seen people who are, who are in the, so, such deep, deep depression. But yet something happens. And they make a comeback, and they find the joy that God intended for them. I've seen people who are on drugs, and they were just living for the next high, and they were just going, and this, it looked like a path that was on its way to destruction. And all of a sudden, something happened, and they make a comeback. And their life is stronger and better than it's ever been before. I get excited when I get to hear and be a part of listening to front row seat to some of those comeback stories. And today, we're gonna look at the story of a guy that most of you, if you've been in church for any period of time, you've heard about him, you've heard this story. As as a teenager, you probably were heard this story. You heard this story many, many times. It's the story of David and Bathsheba. Story of David doesn't start there, though. The story of David starts when he was a shepherd in his dad's field tending the sheep. And he was anointed as the king of Israel at a young age. And so he lives all these years knowing that he's going to become the king of Israel. And at some point along the way, he hears about this Goliath guy that's, you know, coming out against the Israelites. And David heard him talking bad about God. And he was like, hey, listen, you don't talk bad about God. And so he's like, I'll go out there and fight him. And you know that story, David with the five stones, he puts one in a slingshot, nails Goliath right in the forehead, and he falls. And David has this big victory. Well, later on, Saul gets jealous of him, tries to kill him, and David has to run off and, and hide out till Saul dies, and, and then David becomes the king of Israel. And when David becomes the king of Israel, David had every single thing a man could ever want. He had everything that he could ever, well, he had it all. He was the king of God's chosen nation. However, he did what so many of us do, He looked just beyond the boundary of safety and security and wandered into a world of sin and destruction. And how many people have you seen do the exact 
same thing. How many of us have done the exact same thing? We live in the, the boundaries of safety and security and obedience and everywhere that God has that we can have all the joy in this life that we, ha- that we need. And we look just beyond the boundary. We look just over the fence. We start to look and think, you know, the grass, it looks a little greener over there. And we, we step across a line, across that boundary of safety and security, and we get and we go headstrong into a world of sin and destruction. And that's exactly what David did. And so today I want us to look in the story of David, just a couple of chapters in 2 Samuel, and we're gonna just see this life that he lived and how it led to a near destruction, but how he made a comeback. The first thing that I want you to see about David's life is that David compromised a boundary. David compromised a boundary. He was not where he was supposed to be. That was a problem. That's where this all started. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse one, here's how it's recorded for us. In the spring of the year, kind of the time of the year that we're in, the time when kings would go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. David should have been leading his army. David was a warrior king, which is why he couldn't build the temple. He had blood on him, so he had to build the temple. So he should have been leading the army into the battle into the spring of the year, but he didn't. In the spring of the year, he did not. He should have been out. It says, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Reba, and David remained at Jerusalem. David was not where he was supposed to be. He was at home on the couch. He was at home doing what probably a lot of us do. He was browsing Facebook, checking Instagram, watching a TikTok video, you know, catching up on the latest news. He was doing all these things that kings should not have been doing. He probably wasn't really doing those things. Facebook and all that wasn't on back then. Are y'all awake today? Or are my jokes just that lame? <laughs> Don't answer that. Just laugh and give me that courtesy laugh, okay? But he was not where he was supposed to be. And as a result, David committed sin. As a result, David committed sin. He allowed a sinful desire to take root in his life, and he stepped across the boundary that he had placed, or that should have been there, and he stepped into a place of sin. Verse 2 says, it happened. It happened. This, this, this wandering into a sinful lifestyle, he wandered into this sinful place. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch, right where he was not supposed to be. He should have been leading the army into battle, but he was on his couch and he arose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of the king's house and he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. Now listen, Here's why it was laid out. So David, in the city of David, they've uncovered this over in Israel. You can see it today. Um, the, the king's palace would have been at the top of the hill. And then you would have left like that area and gone up to the temple mount. So David would have been the highest home, the highest, the highest palace in this whole region. So if he was on his roof, he was looking out across the roofs of all the other houses in, in Jerusalem. And while he was up there, for some reason, this lady was bathing on her roof. 
I guess that's just a place to go there to do that. So Bathsheba was bathing. I think Tom needs a raise. Y'all vote for <laughs> So, but what happened, he, was, he, was, he arose from his couch. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And what we need to do in our lives is we need to recognize the places in our lives that we are the most vulnerable to compromise, that we are the most vulnerable to our temptations. And most of the time, it's when you are alone and you've compromised in some way. For David, it was a couch of idleness. It was a place of, of solitude. It was a place where he was not being held accountable. And he was in a place that he should not have been. And he roams out on his roof, sees a lady bathing, and the sin begins to take root in his heart. He begins to lust after her. And it says, and he sent and inquired about the woman. He should have just walked back inside. He should have saw that and walked back inside, but he didn't. He started, he started thinking about it. He started letting it take root in his heart. He started obsessing over this woman, and he starts asking about her. Who is this woman? And, and one person said to him, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So there was one person who was brave enough to at least call out to David and say, David, that is a married woman that you are looking at. That's a married woman that you are inquiring about. Somebody stepped up and said something, but David did not listen. You know what David did? He coveted. He coveted another man's wife. And here's the problem with us. Covetousness is oftentimes where sin begins, right? We start to covet something. We start to want something that we don't have. We want something that someone else has. And in our world, in a culture that is obsessed with social media and status, we have made covetousness a part of our daily consumption. Used to, you had to drive around to want things that other people had. Like I remember I was selling cars for a little while, a couple of years, and there was a guy who came into the dealership and I thought he wanted to buy a car, but what he wanted was another salesman on his, um, in his sales force and he was a multi-level marketer. And so he invited my wife and me to go riding one evening with he and his wife. And what he did is he took us through the richest neighborhoods in Monroe, Louisiana, and he showed us some of the biggest houses and the fanciest cars. And what he was creating in us was this idea of covetousness so that we would want what other people have and we would be driven to join his team and make a lot of money. And, you know, if you do that, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with necessarily doing that rate making a lot of money, but this idea of covetousness is a sinful thing that we need to avoid. And that's what David did. He, he started coming. Now, we don't have to drive around. All you've got to do is pull up the internet, and you just start scrolling through, and you see all the things that everybody else has. They have a bigger house. They have a fancier car. They have a, a, a perfect family. You know, nobody's going to show the dysfunctional family on Instagram. And you start looking at all of that, and you start covet, coveting other people's stuff. And here's the thing. There are people on Instagram that want you to covet their stuff. They, that's why they post so much of that. They want you to want what they have. And it's, it's this unhealthy idea of covetousness. And that's where David's sin began. And in matter of fact, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus warned us against it. He said, I want you to take care and be on your guard against 
covetousness because covetousness gets in your heart and it takes root and it starts to cause you to want the things that other people have that God never intended for you to have. And people will go broke financially to try to have what other people have. They'll, they'll go headlong into it. And so we've gotta be careful that we don't let this culture of covetousness that we are so amped up about and we just gotta buy into it it's doing something in your heart. It's doing something in my heart that I have to guard myself against, as Jesus said. So that's where David's sin began. And so David did this. He sent messengers, and he took her, and she came into him, and he lay with her. So not only did he covet, now he's committed adultery. He's committed adultery with this other man's wife, and she got pregnant. And so David's like, oh no, what am I gonna do? I know what I'll do. I'll have Uriah, her husband, come in off the battlefield. Surely any man that comes in off the battlefield wants to sleep with his wife. So he says, hey, you go and enjoy your wife. And so he goes in there, but he's like, I'm a man of war and I'm not gonna do that because my men are out on the battlefield. So he does not sleep with his wife. And so as a result, David says, I've gotta do something about this situation. So he says, put Uriah on the front lines of the battle tells Joab to do that, put him on the front lines of the battle so that he'll be killed in battle. And you know what? Uriah was killed in battle. So now David's coveted, he's committed adultery, and now he's committed murder. I mean, you see how this is going? It just keeps progressing worse and worse and worse. And you say, well, listen, I'll never commit adultery. Well, Jesus said, if you've looked at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. So we all have that propensity toward sin. And it always is a downward spiral. Sin always takes you further than you ever think it would take you. Because sin can take you down a road to destruction that you would have never thought possible. I mean, really, sin creates this slippery slope that eventually has the potential to put you in the sewage of life. It'll take you all the way down. As long as you just keep going, it will take you down. But the good thing about David's story is it was not over. And yours doesn't have to be either. There was something that took place in David's life as he was on this path to destruction. And he was, head, he was going headlong into this sewage of sin. Something took place. And it was David was confronted. Here's what we've learned in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan, who was a prophet, to David. And he came to him and he said, there were two men in a certain city and one rich and the other poor. And so here's David listening and Nathan the prophet comes in. He's like, man, the prophet's here. I'm sure he's got something good to tell me. And so Nathan starts this story. He said, let me just tell you about two men. One's rich, one's poor. And David's leaning into this. I mean, this has gotta be good. And he tells him the story about the rich man had hundreds of sheep. He had a hundred, all the sheep he could ever want. But this poor man only had one. And he loved this little sheep. This sheep would actually come into this home and, and he said that he loved him, loved this sheep like a daughter. It was like a, the, the pet sheep that they were just adored. And so this passerby comes through and the rich man has to entertain this journey, this person coming through, this visitor. And instead of killing one of his many sheep, he goes and takes the sheep from the poor man the sheep that this man loved, adored, that would eat at their table probably and just fed this thing, treated like a daughter. He took that sheep from him and had it killed to feed this visitor. 
Well, David was enraged by that. He says, I want you to call the man in. He's gonna owe this guy fourfold what he had done and let's go ahead and have him killed. And you know what Nathan said to him? He looked at him and he says, David, you are the man. And that was not a compliment. He was calling him out. He said, you are the man who is taken from another man. You've taken all that he had and you have murdered him. And he was calling him out. So thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. God gave you everything you could have ever wanted. He blessed you immensely, but yet you go and take what belongs to another man. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? How could you do such a thing? And this confrontation took place and David probably had every right as the king of Israel to throw Nathan out of the kingdom and maybe even have him killed. To which I would say, what would you or how would you respond if someone confronted you with sin in your life? What if you had a sin that you thought was hidden and somebody found out about it and they just confronted you about it? How do you respond? You know how we normally respond? Well, how dare you? How dare you come into my life and try to confront me of my sin and you throw it back on them and you start telling them all the things they've done wrong? Well, let me tell this about you. I mean, how are you gonna come try to get the speck out of my eye when you've got a log in yours and we just kind of turn it on people? But that's not what David did. That's not what David did because David understood something that you and I need to understand and that is that a good comeback often begins with a confrontation. It often begins with somebody who loves you enough or cares for you enough to confront you about the sin in your life. It's a spouse that will look you eyeball to eyeball and say, how can you continue to do this? Don't you love me? Don't you love the kids more than that? And they will confront you in a way, and, and many times that confrontation can cause a person to make a turn. And we'll look at that and go, oh, the only reason they're sorry is they got caught. You think? That's a good thing. Sometimes that's what it takes for us to put the brakes on, is to get caught. Many of you got caught somewhere one time, and it caused you to put the brakes on, and you retreated, and you made a comeback. So I think it's a good thing when people are confronted and they're caught. And so David was confronted, and as a result of that, David confessed his sin. Here's what happened. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He owned up to it. He owned up to it. He didn't make excuses, but she's so beautiful. He didn't make excuses, but her husband was gone and she needed a companion. He didn't make excuses that he was lonely. He didn't make any excuses. He says, you're right, I've sinned. I've sinned. He owned up to what he did. And here's the problem. The longer we allow sin to have its place in our life, the harder our hearts will become and the more difficult it is to make a comeback. You've seen this. You've seen people that just, they, they continue down that road so long and you can look at them in the eyes, you can talk to them, you can beg and plead with them. Please, please, please. And they just have this stoic, cold, hard look. You might have had that look at your, when you were a teenager looking back at your parents one time. You may have seen that look in someone's eyes. It's a hardness of a heart that makes it difficult to come back from. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus warned about. He says, the reason Moses gave you divorce is because there's hard hearts out there. There are hearts that will not repent. They will not come back. They will not listen to the confrontation. They will not listen to the voice of conviction and they'll continue down that path of destruction. 
But let me just tell you, the quicker you respond to the guilt of sin, the better. Jesus said, or God, or Paul wrote for us, if you will confess your sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But we have to get to that place of confession. And that's what David did. He confessed his sin. And as a result, he responded with contriteness. I had to use a C. So I'll define that for you. It just means a feeling of regret, a feeling of sorrow, a feeling of remorse toward our offenses. And that's what David did. You can read this whole story that I just shared with you in those two chapters, chapter 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel. But if you wanna read about David's repentance, the full version, go to Psalm 51. It's one of the greatest Psalms written. And it's David exposing his repentant, contrite heart. And I just wanted to read a little bit of it today as we finish up. He says, have mercy on me, O God. In other words, God, I know that I've sinned against you and I deserve anything, any wrath that you would pour out on me. But I'm asking you to withhold your wrath, to have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Not according to what I think I deserve, not according to my circumstances, but according to your love, God, I want you to have mercy on me. And it's according to your abundant mercy. And he says, blot out my transgression. Blot out the sin that I have committed. He goes on, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. It's probably what Paul was referencing back to. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. God, when I lay my head down on my pillow at night, my sin is on my mind. It's constantly being replayed over and over and over. The regret, the things that I wish I had not done, those steps that I wish I had never taken. I wish I would have never taken that first drink because I never realized I'd become an alcoholic. I wish I'd have never taken that first pill because I never thought I'd become a drug addict. I wish I'd have never looked at that first inappropriate picture because I never thought I'd become a pornography addict. God, I wish I'd have never said yes to that online discussion because I never thought I'd become an adulterer. I know my transgressions, Paul, uh, David says. I know my transgressions. My sin is always replaying in my mind. And I just want you to wash me clean of that. Because I know this, I have sinned against you and against you only have I sinned. It's not against others. I've sinned against you, a holy God. And I've done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Whatever you do, God, I deserve it. I deserve it, but I'm pleading for mercy. I'm pleading that you will wash my heart clean, that God, you will soften my heart toward you. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Help me to see my sin the way you see my sin, God. And those boundaries that I've set up in my life that I, thought I should, that I thought I would never cross and I made that first compromise, God, I pray that you would restore that spirit of determination to never cross that again. Restore that spirit within me and cleanse my heart and clean my heart, oh God. You should go home and read this entire Psalm. This is a man who 
Yes, he crossed a boundary line. He, he compromised on his boundary. He, and he committed that sin, but he responded the right way to a confrontation. And maybe this message today is your confrontation. I'm calling you to repentance. I'm calling you to the place that David got to where he confessed his sin and he had this contrite, repentant heart toward the sin that he had committed. And you know what David became? He became known as the man after God's own heart. There were consequences to his sin and he lived through those and he worked through those, but he never lost faith in God through those. And he lived through the consequences and on the other side of that, he pursued God like never before. And as a result, you and I are reading Psalm after Psalm after Psalm in our quiet time, in our devotions, and we are inspired by the Psalms of David, a man who went to the deepest places sin could have taken him, but he made a comeback. Your story is not over. Wherever you are, put your foot in the ground and determine I'm making a comeback. I'm gonna come back from this because a comeback often begins with the confrontation. Let this be your confrontation. Let this be it. The sinful places that we find ourselves in do not have to be the end of our stories. God could easily be writing the next great comeback in your life, but it all depends upon how you respond. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus to begin with. You may be like Farrell or Lindsay and you just, you just need to take that step and maybe today's the day for you. There'll be some of us gathered here at the altar. Feel free to come and talk to us, or you can meet us back in the guest VIP room. We'd love to share with you how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you are a follower of Christ, and you've kind of found yourself, uh, yourself stepping across some boundaries of compromise, hey, get on your face before God and confess, and pray that He writes a comeback story. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, Thank you for not letting David's story be untold. Thank you for letting us read these things. Thank you for letting us read about the story of the man who was the greatest king in all of Israel. But yet he found himself where many of us find ourselves, running headstrong into sin. And so today I pray that you will help us to confess and to return to a right relationship with you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.